Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Well, we are um, almost now can I get into a bit of flow here with uh, preaching through... Um, are walking through and preaching through 1 Corinthians, this astounding 16 chapter letter. I don't know how long we've been in it. I think we've been in it since July. We're now in October and we're nearly halfway through the first chapter. Not quite, but we're working our way through that. Uh, I think last week I get through one verse and this week I think it's two. But we come into this section that is truly um, astounding, which actually takes us right into chapter three. Uh, and the subheading is this, uh, same as last week, man's wisdom weakens the cross. Man's wisdom weakens the cross. And, and we started, as I said, this section last week, still in chapter one tonight. Uh, we're going to be speaking and maybe sharing. We come up to the, uh, the anniversary of the Reformation in the next couple of weeks. And it'll be our anniversary, which is great because we, our own Reformation happened at the exact same time as the anniversary of the Reformation. Then it was the 500th anniversary, which was our first anniversary. So now it's our fifth. No, it's, it's dead easy to remember. Uh, you just, uh, whatever that date is, is our date. And so tonight we're going to be sharing about that and maybe sharing some stuff about what we've learned in those five years maybe not so much just what we've learned that's good but maybe things that we've done that we think well with wisdom and as we've learned maybe those things were of the best things to do because we're always learning as we move on and then we're going to share where we're going on Sunday nights for the next month we're kind of changing things up a bit things are going to change a bit I think for the good definitely always for the good and thinking about the congregation so we'll touch on that tonight anyway uh, last week as it says we're still in chapter one uh, halfway through chapter one last week as I says we only covered one verse and but this one verse sets uh, the whole theme and content of the next and 31 verses are beyond, really, up to the end of chapter 3. So Paul, after his introduction, and then telling the church, you know, because there's division amongst them after the letter, and uh, as he writes this letter, uh, there is division amongst the congregants, amongst the people in Corinth. Uh, not know them all, no, but they're, they're started to pick and choose, and they've became divided, which, uh, but they've no left, and that's kind of the common... Uh, thread you know the devil loves division where people don't leave <laughs> division when people leave is easy to deal with because they leave and they wander but often what happens is is division then ends up staying in the midst uh, so we really only covered one verse last week but this whole verse sets the whole content and theme in the next 31 verses um, in fact it covers right up to the end as I say chapter 3 such is the importance of this verse uh, and as I say the division was in Corinth caused by them starting to pick and choose what they listen to and turn due to that picking and choosing uh, it started to weaken the totality of the message when you start picking and choosing now I know as humans we don't we can't tune into every word because as we listen to God's word our train of thought can take us it always does you know so that's why after a service some people will say oh when that was mentioned or that was mentioned because I'll take a train of thought in certain places depending on where we live or thinking at the time uh, what impacts us at the time 
But what was happening in the church in Corinth is, is that they're picking and choosing how they want to hear stuff and what they want to hear. And the moment we start to manoeuvre the message, um, we start to hear from a place um, and we start to, kind of, as it were, start to embrace what's going on in, in the world, as it were. Uh, and we can start to omit the word from our life. And the moment that we start to omit, omit things from the word, doesn't mean to say that you capture everything, but the moment that you, no, that you start to spend more time thinking about what you didn't like or what you didn't agree with or what, what you were not in, in line with or, or looking at the, the disagreements, the moment that you start doing that, and this is what was happening in Corinth, is, is the moment that your heart starts to divide for the congregation. That's when your heart starts to divide from the congregation or starts to divide from the body. We then... In, we then turn the word into our words. We decide what we want to hear. And then it becomes man's words. You're preaching to yourself. It's not that man's words were preached to them in Corinth. They preached the word in Corinth. They were never preached. There was never any uh, information in the letter that says the message that was preached was wrong. No, throughout Paul's other letters and throughout the Gospels and throughout the, uh, the Holy, the New Testament, there'll be stuff about false teachers and stuff. Paul here is no talking about false teachers, no, because he says, he never mentions that Apollos is no speaking about stuff, so it's got nothing to do with the message. It's just what people have decided to take from the message and start to shape it and direct it into their own ideas and how they were going to decide to apply it and use it into their life. And we have a clear message. We must. And, and we start to manoeuvre it. Uh, to suit our own desires and carnality. And start to turn and shape the word. Uh, and start to turn it to suit ourselves. You can guarantee. That you will start to. Even within the body. In the church. You will start to separate from the body. Even if you're still here every week. You will start to fragment from the people in the body. You might not announce that I'm really divided here. You might not announce that. But what will happen is, is that you'll start to lose the unity that, that was vital, that, that, that you had maybe at the start and the carnality of that. And we start to turn the word and shape that word to suit our feelings, our emotions, our desires, our leanings, what we want. And that's what was happening there. And I have never this is, this is a bold statement here. I have never met a single person who is denying the word or picking holes in the word who is not starting to fall apart from the body, who is not starting to become fragmented in amongst the congregants. They might not say it. Oh, it'll be happening predominantly in their home, not necessarily in here. Because what's happening is, is they're starting to pick and choose how they're hearing stuff, what they're hearing. You know, they're, they're no longer receiving and obeying the truth of the word. Uh, there's stuff going on, whatever's going on inside them. And then what happens is they be in church, but they're no longer part of the church. I can think over the years, you go, you know what? I know they're here, but they're not here. I know they're in church, but they're no longer here. They're, they're here, but they're absent. The... And, and many of them would say, many people would say, oh, well, you know, I'm not really connecting now and all sorts of stuff happens. And you think, well, what's moved? 
let's move. I think in immature churches, what they often think is, and I've seen this when it's immature, they think the elders in them who are really committed are a clique. They're no cliques. They're just more committed. <laughs> it's not the same thing. It looks like cliques. It's just that they're committed to accepting everything in the word in its totality, and other people are not. That, that's where the division is. The division is no, and the division's knowing, you know, they're into that and they don't like us. The division is, is they're totally committed. Well, we're picking holes in it. No, and I would ask the question, I'm not saying this happens here. I'm, I'm not saying that, I'm just sharing, you know, the content of the word. But if that's happening and you feel a wee bit on the outside, you need to ask yourself, how much are you no embracing what everybody else is embracing? Is maybe a better question. I've never met a single person who's denying the word or picking holes in the word, who's not developing a divided mind from the body. Of course, some then start to gather others around them. Um, that's only possible in certain churches. I'm grateful that we're not a church where somebody would get any length of time to gather their own message. And then start to distribute it in the church. Some of these have been party churches like where people gather their own thoughts and their own message. And then they're preaching for the pews, which we've spoken about before. No, uh, I, I know there are churches like that. I mentioned a few weeks ago, no, I know Fraser was part of a church years ago, where everybody had their own message. There were even people in the congregation sending printing tracts and letters that was contrary to the preaching on the platform and handing out to the congregation. Isn't that disgusting? You, that's it's also weak leadership it's also very weak leadership because that should be confronted that should be confronted and challenged and have a conversation with you know, if your brother sins against you go and approach him no, we should be using Matthew 18 in that and if there's still no, resol if there's still no resolution no, put that person out because that's causing division and what's happening in, in the church in Corinth that maybe wasn't as severe as that yet but it was starting to go that way no, history tells us it ended up there. In fact, history tells us that most churches end up there. It's where they end up with this divided kind of spirit. But it's because it's allowed to um, have a habitation in the place. And it's, it's allowed to habitate there. No, and that's why the more united we are and there's one mind, one body, as, as Paul says, it's much less, th th there's no really any ground for that bad fruit to flourish, as it were. Now what's happening in Corinth is, is these wee pockets are starting to build up and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what really happens is they're making Christ ineffective in their lives. You might think you're not making Christ ineffective in their life, and I don't think they believe at the time they're making Christ ineffective in their life. But see, when you start picking and choosing what you like and what you don't like, you're starting to make Christ ineffective in your life. They're nullifying the power of the word by using their own word. And that's what is weakening them and starting to weaken them in every area of their life. If I look at my own life and look intently in the mirror and I look at where is my life at its weakest, where I'm not allowing the word to speak to my life, where I'm choosing to go with what I want and what I think and my take. Remember a few years ago there was a guy in church who came and he was a believer or no, I, I actually, I believe he was a believer, but, and I believed with the right support. He was a wild evangelist. You often get this, these evangelists that they're unharnessed. No, they're like, they're like 
They're like evangel they're like freelance evangelists, right? The world is full of freelance evangelists. They really don't really attach themselves to anybody. They, they, they're really, they, they maybe attend church the odd time, but they're not really part of church because they're too busy doing their own thing. So this guy came and he was a... I believe with the right support, the right nurture, and the right accountability, he had the potential to be a phenomenal evangelist. He definitely had the, 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 the courage for it, and he had the boldness for it. But he had no accountability whatsoever in his life. And that's what was making him ineffective. It was making him totally ineffective. He was ineffective because he was unteachable. That's what made him ineffective. He was ineffective because he was unteachable or he had became unteachable. I knew people that knew the guy in the past and they said he was unteachable then as well. You usually find that people who are unteachable are usually Christians on tour. <laughs> I mean, they're moving about. But if you asked him and spoke to him, he would say, eh, uh, that he stood in the word and he believed the word. And if you did not know any better, you would go, you know what, there are elements where he was right. You know, he'd be dead bold. But it was, but it lacked such godly wisdom because he was going in his own thing. And what the problem was is he had the word that he was using, but you couldn't hear the word because he was speaking too loud. <laughs> Do you get what I mean by that? You're like, I, I can't hear what you're saying about God's word because everything you are is louder than the word so basically his agenda and his issues was louder than the truth that he was trying to speak so we spent I spent some time with him quite a bit and he continued to ignore anything that didn't suit him anything that pierced his heart that was beyond what he was willing to face he ignored. Eventually, as always, which happens with this kind of spirit, due to them going with their own words <laughs> and lack of willingness to face the totality of the word, they went rogue again. They just went rogue, wandered, doing their own thing. And to my knowledge is still running, riot, going rogue. What is that but a divided spirit for the body? And we see it a lot and you see it in churches, you know, you, these travelling evangelists. And you're thinking, what body are you part of? What church are you part of? Have you been sent out from the church? Do you have an eldership and a leadership? Do you have a, are you part of a congregation? And often they're no. Often they're no part of a congregation. In fact, they're so no that part of a congregation that they've never sat under, listened to the word for that long because they're too busy on tour bringing their own message. It's like the modern, these cool, hip, uh, preachers, there's one the other day I watched a video, Rich Wilkerson Jr., I don't mind mentioning his name, I'll, I'll happily mention his name, Rich Wilkerson Jr., and he was preaching, and he, he said something that I thought, I've heard that a million times, I don't know why people are getting so excited. Have you ever noticed how the pragmatics in these modern churches get excited about almost nothing? 
You know, it's like, it's, it's so immature, isn't it? It's like kids like, ah, oh, sweeties, 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 I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, you're getting a bit overexcited about a bar of chocolate here. Don't get me wrong, I get a bit overexcited about a bar of chocolate. <laughs> but, but only Toblerones. So anyway, he was preaching and you've heard this before and I can't remember the words, but you'll know exactly the statement. It's like, God doesn't qualify the call, he calls the qualify. That, he doesn't, he, called the qualified, he qualifies the call. That's all he said. I have heard that at least 500 times. He's just repeated it and he's standing like that. And he said it that loud and the people are going wild in a frenzy as if it was something that was revelation. You know, it was not revelation. It was man's words. He, here's the thing that John MacArthur says. Here's just a wee side thought here. John MacArthur says the greatest attack in revelation is man's words. End quote. It's the greatest attack in Revelation is man's wisdom. Because it stops us hearing for God. I don't mean hearing for God audibly. You understand what I'm saying? It stops us trusting in God's word. So anyway, he started doing that. And he was doing it. And he was, he was gone for it. And at the time, the camera looked. This was on, on a reel. And he had a glass of water on his table. And it fell. And it fell over his Bible. And he went like that. It wasn't that that got me. So I wrote the post. I says, just think how excited they would have been if it was an open Bible that the, bottle, the, the glass of water fell on. His Bible wasn't even open. The Bible was sitting shut on a table while people are getting in a frenzy about him sharing nothing to do with God's word. Gone rogue. Instead of the word back to the story instead of the word convicting the traveling evangelist he created a christianity this is what we're living in the times of day and if you're in that place get away from it as quickly as possible seek some accountability seek some counsel instead of the word convicting him he created a christianity where it didn't touch the areas of his life that he didn't want to change didn't we do that I'm starting to, that might get close to the bone about that area. And what, when Paul was preaching, no, Christ and him crucified, it was all about denying yourself your selfish ambition and picking up the cross and following me daily. The message doesn't change. But that doesn't suit your flesh. So it was not so much that I don't like Paul. It's like Paul's a party pooper. Or he's making me look at things that I don't want to look at. All that's in the mix amongst other things. So instead of the word convicting, we start to create a Christianity in the areas of your life that needs most sanctified. The sad thing is, even what he was saying right, became ineffective. There's a problem. The sad thing is when you don't embrace things in its totality, and the word in its totality. Even the things that you've got that's true are totally ineffective because of the agenda and the lack of purity and the lack of embracing the other things which you should be embracing. We can never ever think that the manoeuvring of a word therefore and picking and choosing what we want to hear will still be effective. Oh, 
I really agree with that, and that's really powerful word, but I don't really agree with that. It weakens that. But we think it doesn't weaken. It weakens everything. So in the Corinth, in the church in Corinth, they were embracing some parts of Paul's teaching. And even some of them says, we are of Paul, we know that. We are of Cephas, we are of Apollos. They were, they were embracing the parts that they wanted to embrace, thinking that that still had power. Have you ever told a, have you ever told somebody the truth with a stinking rotten attitude? Only me. Have you ever told somebody the truth with a stinking rotten attitude? Or have you ever told a truth or brought information to somebody? But the agenda wasn't right. Yeah. I'm sure that's his all in it. It doesn't have the same power, doesn't it? No. Because that thing hijacks the good stuff. So we must never think that manoeuvring of the word and picking and choosing what we want to hear is no making what the truth is less effective it does. Paul writes also to the church in Galatia. Let me just read the scripture here. This, this really helps with this. Uh, know that you need to get into another letter to kind of get to the bottom of this. But just to say that this wasn't just a problem in Corinth. This became a problem in the church in Galatia. In fact, if you look at the seven churches, it becomes a problem. It starts to become a problem everywhere, except the church in Smyrna. Uh, Galatians 5, 79, as Paul writes to the church in Galatia, says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? What a question. You used to be a great Christian who was full of faith. Who hindered your walk? Who hindered... You from obeying the truth. And then he goes on and says, This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven. Leaven's a whole lump. A little leaven spoils a whole lump. A little bit of pride spoils everything. And John Calvin in his sermon in this verse... No, if you've ever gone to read Calvin books and you're wanting, Calvin's easy to read anyway. He's not like some of the Puritans. But if you ever really want to delve into any Calvin's writings and really get into the mind and the, 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 the genius, if you like, that's John Calvin, uh, some of his sermon commentaries are phenomenal. His sermon commentary in Ephesians, outstanding. And his sermon commentaries in Galatians, outstanding. He writes a sermon commentary in this, these couple of verses. It's 13 pages of a sermon. The sermon's entitled, Fighting to the End for God's Pure Infallible Truth. Isn't that, a great, isn't that a great message title? Fighting to the End for God's Pure Infallible Truth. And that is really what Paul is doing. This is what he's done his whole believing life. He's fighting to the end to stand for God's pure infallible truth. Why? Because nothing else is, get, nothing else is effective. To win souls or to sanctify souls. Calvin says, all who obey the truth run well. Isn't that truth? So here's a statement, here's a, here's a challenging question. How are you running now? How's your run at the moment? Alright, stumbling a wee bit. A wee bit out of puff. Things a wee bit heavy. Can he be bothered? How's your run at the moment? Is it? Are you running your race? When Paul talks about he ran well, he ran his race. This is what he's meaning. He stood in the word. He stood firm in the word. 
So the question then beckons, how's your, how's your running at the moment? Are you running well? Is your, are you running full of faith? And how you are the day will, and your run can be absolutely directly lined up to how much you're obeying or not obeying the word. I'm like, I'm not really running my race well today. How you know? I've been terrible for a couple of weeks. What's happened? I've just stumbled away and keep on. And I'm, I pray a wee bit, but then I just fall out with everybody. And then I just, whatever's going on. No, things are getting on top of me at my work. Things are getting on top of me here, there, and everywhere. No, people are just annoying me. I don't really fit anymore. I don't know where I fit in church and all this stuff. Okay, so the question is no that. The question is... Obviously, your race has been effective at the, and effective at the moment. You're struggling with your run. And what Paul's saying to the church in Galatia, and indeed Corinth is, it's a direct correlation to how much you're obeying the word. Disobedience stops your ability to run. It's, it's that simple. All who obey the truth run well. Calvin says, all who obey the truth run well. What's happened? <laughs> you ever asked that? What's happened? We often say what's happened and then we go down the, well, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And we get into worldly triviality about what's happened, didn't we? What's happened? Well, my boss, no, he's getting a bit of issues with me, you know. This has happened, you know. My flight was delayed three hours, you know. Something like that, I got a puncture. Oh, my washing machine's broke. Oh, some, something pathetically trivial. What, what, what is it stopping you? That's happened. You're, no, no, no. Really, what is it stopping you? Not being the word. I've stopped being obedient. I've stopped being obedient to what I've been taught. I'm starting to look for differences. I'm starting to deny the truth. I'm falling all over the place. What's harmed? It's hindered us. It's what Paul's also saying to the church in Corinth. What's harmed? That's causing this division. Is it not just disobedience? Our running well and not stumbling is solely based on our being the truth of the word. So the question we must ask is, how am I running at the moment? Are you stumbling? Are you fumbling? Are you thinking too much about you? That's usually a big stumble. What happened? I just fell there. What happened? I fell over me. <laughs> What happened there? Oh, I just fell. What happened? I fell over me. I couldn't get over me. Are you pensive? Agitated? Is your peace gone? Is sin starting to take over? Is lack of unity in your mind? Looking for differences? Feel divided? Separated? Lonely, no part of, overlooked, unloved, uncared for. You name it, it's whatever is stopping you running. And the answer to that, disobedience. Disobe oh, no, no, there's more to it than that. Mm. Oh, there will be more to it. Of course, no belonging making more to it if we do that. But the root cause starts with disobedience. And if yes to any of it, we can look no further than a level and a lack of facing and accepting truth in its totality. Yes, the guy I spoke to kept running. 
He's still running. He's the Forrest Gump of the evangelist world, but he's running to nowhere. And this is what Calvin says. Like some people keep running, but they're not drawing any closer to God. <laughs> and that statement. So, oh no, I'm still coming to church. You know, I'm still here. No, miss it. Never miss a Sunday. Never, ne ne never miss a Sunday. Still get there. I know, but you're not drawing any closer to God. No people that's been in church for 40 years, then it's no closer to God. She'd get a talk with my mother-in-law at the end of the service and ask her about her walk with God. And she's been in church all her life. It's not until the last few years that she's really, and I'm not saying she never, when she's younger, that she's really drawn closer to God. It's not that she never ran the race. It's not that, it's not that we don't turn up. I've probably missed, I think I've missed about two services in my life, since I get saved, two or three services since I get saved. That's in about, about a long time. <laughs> two services. But I wasn't always drawn closer to God. But I was still running. But running where? Calvin writes, that when men are given over to their fantasies, living according to their own notions, they may indeed run fast, but they will not draw any closer to God, end quote. You might be running fast, but if you're only following your own fantasies, your own notions, your own desires, doesn't mean you're drawn any closer to God. I've seen a lot of so-called believers who are still running but no any closer. Because they're not obeying the word, but picking and choosing based on their own notions, desires, and fantasies. And in the church in Corinth, although Paul here is writing to the church in Galatia that had a large elements of what was going on in Corinth, but maybe not just to that degree. The same thing's happening in Corinth. It's they're following their own notions, desires, and fantasies. Starting to pick and choose what they like and what they don't like and creating the Christianity based on what man thinks or their own desires. All of this, of course, never tackles the flesh. You know, my dog passed away two weeks ago. It's devastating. Still devastating. Every day is devastating. It really is. It's devastating. I weep out. I cry every day. And a lot of people have been very compassionate. And I'm not trying to be controversial here, but I'm just, I'm getting, I just want to share a point here. So I'm no, I'm not getting into a debate. So people have had letters, have had other stuff saying, you know, that's great. You'll meet Harley in heaven and all that stuff. Right? I, I don't believe that doctrine, okay? I just don't believe that doctrine because it's not in the Bible. No any other reason. But I'm no, I don't mind if somebody does. I'm not going to argue about it. It's no big deal. That's not my point. What my point is, I've had a lot of unbelievers telling us I'll meet them in heaven. And I'm like, you want to be concentrating your own getting into heaven? So I've, it's the wealth of unbelievers that's telling me. No, you can agree or no agree with the doctrine of whether you think animals are in heaven or no. But, but that's not the debate here. I get that people need comfort and I get that. I don't, but I get that. So I'm not against that. But see the amount of unbelievers that's been in touch with it constantly, every day. Ah, you, I'm like, you don't even believe yourself. How do you think you're getting in? 
But this is the fickleness of human nature. They actually think they can get to heaven by their own man-made deeds. That's not the gospel. But here's a great evangelist too. You'll meet your dog in heaven. I says, you got a dog that's died? Dog. It's North Lanarkshire, dog. It's a guy's name, isn't it? Have you got a dog who's died? I used to go to A meetings and there was a guy called Douglas Jim. Douglas Jim. There's a place down in the borders, not quite near the borders, called Douglas. Any he's heard of Douglas. There's Castle Douglas, but there's Douglas. So there was a guy at an A meeting and his name was Douglas Jim. And I was like, I, I, I remember being in the meeting. I says, he for Douglas. I can't remember how they call it. He says, no, there's another Jim in the meeting who's got a dog. He's Douglas Jim. It's <laughs> funny, isn't it? But anyway, anyway, what an evangelist told you to say, so, say, your dog will be in heaven. Just say, have you got a dog? Uh, are you going to meet your dog in heaven? Because how are you going to get there in the first place? See a Rockwell that mogs five kids? Just let me just give an offshoot there. Does that get to heaven? Just, just leave that there. I'll just fire that out. Never tackles the flesh. Because it takes the word of God and attacks to attack and crucify the flesh. This is what happens when we go with man's stuff. So our fantasies, our desires, going back to the Calvin thing. It never tackles the flesh. Have you ever noticed when you start omitting the word and start going with your thing, it doesn't actually attack the flesh. It just tells you, ah, you can get it. It takes the word to attack the flesh. It's only the word that can attack the flesh. See, before you get saved, you never get convicted in your sin. Sin never convicted you before you get saved. Before, it never convicted you. There was no conviction in sin before you get saved. Whatsoever. It never tackles the flesh because it takes the word of God to attack and crucify the flesh. The wanting and the words of man Never does, or as Calvin puts it. When men follow that which has been devised in their own minds. See, he's, 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 that's what I say, he's so easy to read. When men follow that which has been devised in their own minds, it can only consist of lies and fables. See, when I follow what's in my own mind and start creating my own story, my own pitiful story, or my own needs and wants, it can only be fables and lies. I start lying to myself. Because I have to lie to myself to justify sin. Paul was the unclear in his preaching, as I said weeks ago. The issue was where they were listening from and what they were listening for. Calvin in the sermon even mentions the lack of unity when he says, Why are we no living in harmony with each other? Question. If I ask that as a question, why are we not living in harmony with each other? Why do you lack a unity amongst believers in the body? And then he goes on and says, because the greater part of them will not be persuaded to obey God. End quote. Some are obeying God and some not. Division. What is division? But internal turmoil. What is it that makes us stumble? Or made them stumble? I wrote a post about turmoil. 
how internal turmoil and no dealing with internal turmoil ends up external problems in relationships. People that's in volatile relationships is always people that never deal with internal turmoil. So they're always going for one and the relationships are always futile. What is division? What is internal turmoil? What is it that makes us stumble? Is it know that what Calvin says, we won't be persuaded to obey God and his word? Can't even persuade me to obey that. We don't allow the word to deal with the internal turmoil. So we end up with futile relationships. Especially with them that challenge the mindsets and unwillingness and the stumbling. This goes a bit like this. We don't like Paul. Speaks things to us that Stopes has been allowed and gives us the freedom to do what we want. It's like Micaiah in the Old Testament when Ahab asked the truth teller Micaiah at the MD we can acquire of. Oh, there's Micaiah. Oh, don't get him. Don't, don't get him to tell me anything. He never tells me what I want to hear. Lock him up in a prison. And Ahab, the wickedest king of all, and he's so wicked because he's so weak. He had 300 yes men who told him what he wanted to hear. And when we stop obeying the word, and as that continues, we start to build alliances in our mind and in our, in our heart. We start to build, and with people that contradict the obedience that we ought to be having. Don't like Paul, he speaks things to us that makes us not be able to do what we want. Yeah, because he sees that that's the very thing that unites us. That's why he's asking us to stand in the word. Because that's the thing that unites us. And the opposite divides us. It doesn't just divide us as believers. There's no way of convicting us. That, that's the problem. The lack of word has no way of convicting you. That's why you would rather not have it. Sorry, let me say it again. That's why your flesh would rather not have it. That's why the church hates the word. I know that sounds shocking. The church hates the word. The modern church hates the word. Because it's convicting. The carnal, man-made wisdom does not convict sin. It justifies reasons. Whoa. Modern psychology... And, and, and as you read the commentaries, especially John MacArthur writes, I think John MacArthur's commentary on 1 Corinthians, this is just a personal thing, I think he's best. But model, modern psychology doesn't just convict, doesn't convict sin. Yeah, so, so we're living in a time, okay, so where the church is now converted to modern psychology, pragmatism. Okay, self-help stuff. That's in the church. We know it's in the world, but now it's in the church. It turns sin into choice, doesn't it? It turns sin into your truth. And this is how it deals with sin. As long as you can try and convince yourself it doesn't bother you, you can keep going. Modern psychology doesn't get you to stop doing stuff. It's trying to get you to self-love yourself so that you're not annoyed when you do stuff. That's a bit, does that make sense? Does that, did that, is that okay? No, because I know I'm a fast speaker. 
Modern psychology isn't trying to convict you doing wrong. Modern psychology is trying to get you to be a bigger person so that you can accept when you're doing wrong and not give yourself a doing about it. That's modern psychology. This is what's happening in Corinth. So as long as you can try and convince yourself it doesn't bother you, which you can't if you're a believer. <laughs> you can't if you're a believer. It's, 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 it's hellish. You cannot, if a, it doesn't matter how hard you try as a believer, you cannot not feel guilty when you sin. <coughs> Isn't that a wonderful gift? Don't get me wrong, you might try. <laughs> so most psychology and therapy teaches man's wisdom but doesn't teach against sin. That's why most churches don't even mention sin now. And by that I mean it teaches that sin is no an issue. You don't have a sin issue. You've got a personal value issue. It's an issue. And if you've got a personal value issue, no, you're not a sinner, you've just got a personal value issue. In fact, they'll say this, you don't have a sin issue, you just don't love yourself enough. That's where the psychology goes. You need to have ownership. I even had a mentor, right? This is true. I had a mentor for a good few years, a phenomenal communicator, who now teaches, who now teaches, he doesn't even mind. In fact, he interviewed a woman a few years ago. I, was, I couldn't believe it. I don't know why I was surprised, but I couldn't believe it. Where the woman really got a lot of comfort in one night stands. That's where she went, one night stands, right? Just very pernicious, one night stands. He didn't even blink an eyelid. He didn't think they were anything wrong with that because the woman was owning it and she felt no undervalued by doing it. So therefore it wasn't a sin. Vicky McLeavy said a brilliant one-liner. She says, I wonder how you'd feel if that was his daughter. <laughs> Different matters, it no? But the point I'm making is they're so far away from the word but as long as the person didn't feel condemned by doing it, therefore it was okay. You know where I'm going here because I'm bringing this into land tonight. The night. It will be the night. Might be the night by the time we get. What do you mean the night? You mean the night? <coughs> Dying Alex, like, we need to go home. Better not be the night. <laughs> but what it teaches us is it teaches that. It teaches that if, as long as I'm living it and I'm, 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 I'm owning it, then it's no sin. And what starts to happen is, and what's happening at the church in Corinth, this is starting to happen and permeate. And what's happened is it started to happen and permeate into the church. So as long as I feel valuable, and we keep on playing the, your valuable card, then it's no sin. Because I'm owning my shame as modern psychology. So the person might say, yeah, but guilt is killing me. The word would say, yes, guilt is due to sin and separation from God. That's where guilt comes from, isn't it? Sin and separation from God. Why are you naked, Adam? <laughs> because they ate the apple. Why are you hiding? Because I'm full of shame. But man's wisdom, man's word says, let's learn not to feel guilty. Let's learn to love yourself more, no feel guilty, so that when you do stuff, you'll not feel bad about it. Now, you might be thinking, what, what, what do I mean by that? Ask yourself when you're not obeying the word how much you can justify what you're doing. 
These are desires you have. You need to own them as modern psychology. Go after them. Go after your desires, your dreams. Don't let them stop you. That's, this is what's starting to happen in Corinth. Go and look at the seven churches in Revelations and you see where that goes. You might think, well, this isn't how division happens in church. It is when you stop obeying the word. That's exactly what happens. But instead of running after and pursuing God's word, you start pursuing your carnal desires. The Corinthian church stayed and started to make Paul's message no effect. There's no that they left. They actually stayed and made it no effect. The greatest battle in the church today is know that people leave is that they stay and change the message. That's the battle. The world will follow the world and they'll be convicted. We get that. But the so-called believer will often stay and become divided. That's where the great danger is. That's why we see the fall and the, 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 the total breakdown in the church. Okay. A divided church is way worse than worldly division because it claims to stand in truth and know God but it's got another gospel anything other than the word being spoke and preached will never be the glue that keeps believers together this is why in the modern church there is division amongst division and cliques and wee pockets of different stuff everywhere because the glue which is the word isn't the one that keeps people together the Corinth church started well, as did all them. And Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he's like, you started well. But the lack of obedience to the word and truth is now what's affecting them and stopping them. Yes, we may be obedient in line with some things, but again, as Paul says, it's only a little leaven. It's only a little bit of pride. It's only a little bit of unwillingness. It's only a little bit of dragging our heels. It's only a little bit of, you can speak to him about that, but don't touch that area of my life. Don't get near the money. <laughs> don't get near the money, honey. Don't, don't bring the word near that. Don't bring it back to my carnal desires. Don't bring it near my obsessions. Don't bring it to my codependency. Speak about anything, but don't get near that. And the minute that does, that gets shot. And you think you're going to still be as effective and powerful in every other area. But it only takes that bit to start to spoil everything. Because that's what you're listening for. And you're listening and you think, oh, if they get near that. Have you ever been listening you're not ready to deal with them? And you think this conversation's going quite close to what I need to be dealing with. You're like, oh, you don't like it. And before you know it, as Paul says, it's starting to filter into your yard. Anyway, I've only got to the verse yet, and there's 10 minutes to go, less than that. So this is me at my first verse, and I'm not even at the first verse. Verse 17, where I was last week. Oh, this is the verse. Oh, this is encompassing it. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Man's wisdom nullifies the cross. Paul then starts the in-depth examination and warning. I'll only read these two verses to conclude this morning. Verse 18 and 19. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Praise God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the gospel is nonsense. It's foolishness. It's idiotic to those who are perishing. You ever shared the gospel with someone who looks at you or looks right through you as if you're an idiot? Just every day. You can almost tell when you're talking to them, they're looking at you, isn't it? They're, they're lights that they're just looking at you like that. You can, you, can almost, you can almost hear them saying to you, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're talking rubbish. I don't believe a word you're saying. You know, the word for, 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 the word for foolishness in the Greek is Mariah. Mariah. It's where we get the word moron from. You ever been sharing the gospel and you just think, they think I'm a moron? There used to be a song, Remember You're a Moron. That's what they sing back to you. Remember you. They just think, they think I'm a moron. That's what they think. You ever think that? They, like, they think I'm a moron. Them are perishing. It's total nonsense. Them who have not been chosen, no selected, no call, who we don't know. It's nonsense what you're speaking to them about. What does the church do? And I'm maybe getting ahead of myself. What does the church do? We try and make the message less nonsense. There's the problem. You're trying to look less like a moron to them, aren't you? There's your danger. They think I'm a moron. I'm going to be relevant. Better being a moron. Okay? Got to get a wee sign me badges. Remember, I'm a moron. It's like evangelism. You're trying to be less of a moron, aren't you? They think I'm an idiot. They're looking right through me. They're not listening to a word I'm saying. I'm going to have to change what I'm saying to them so that they don't think I'm a moron so it becomes more relevant to them. There's a start. This is what's going to happen in the church in Corinth. This is where we're living today. The church, nobody's a moron. Now, how can I hit true? I think they're a moron. And incidentally, the, the Mormon church, their God's called Moroni. <laughs> I don't know, is that stemming for you? I think he is a moron, right? But there you go. But that's what it's called. To them are perishing is total nonsense. People who are using their own wisdom and are rebelling continually, choosing their own way of living, think that the message of the gospel is total nonsense. They might even say this, I know it's your thing and I'm pleased for you. They can even become patronising about it. No, I know it's your thing and looking at your life, you need it. Right. No, they've not got a fingernail that's working but you need it yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased you've found your wee fantasy God but I'm away doing this basically what they're saying is you're a moron they just think you're an idiot they don't say you're an idiot but they think you're an idiot and you know you think, they think you're an idiot because when you walk away they're like they think I'm stupid <laughs> Sadly, the church then has adapted the message to make them who think we are morons. Okay? You're going after the perishing. <laughs> the biggest mistake in the church is, is we go after the perishing. We're not there to go after the perishing. Well, the truth is we don't know who's perishing and who's no, but you hear the, you hear the point. But see, when we go after the mocker, we're trying to get them to think that we're no a moron. Okay? So what happens is the church then becomes hip and trendy. 
Okay? So you have guys cutting about with wee beanie hats on and big stupid glasses, thinking that they're hip and trendy, and I just, I just, it's a gimmick to me. So the church then gets all the lasers and all the lights and the smoke machines and stuff. The message is not the gospel anymore. It's God doesn't call the call, he qualifies the call. All that nonsense. All that stuff. Eh, screaming. No, stupid Stephen Furtick stuff. It's appealing. It's appealing. Because he, it's appealing to them who think you're a moron for believing the gospel. All you're doing is building a church full of morons. That's all you're doing. Because you're trying to make it more cool and acceptable. How many people are you going in your life today and you're going, I know they are afraid, I know they think the gospel is nonsense. What we're going to do is give them pizza. Go, that's, 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 that's not, that is the opposite of what Paul says the need to do. And what was happening in the church in Corinth, if you remember in the introduction, people in Corinth, half a million people nearly, people in Corinth was coming into the church and standing at the door and having a wee look and going like, oh, right, what's going on here? They may have went to the church six months before and like, oh, I don't like it here. Folk would have got saved, some would have gnashed their teeth. No, I don't like it here. But then what would have happened? No, I don't like it here, full of morons here. But then the word gets out in the street and they go like, oh, have you been to the church in Cor Have you been up to Corinth recently? The church? No, no near as many morons now. I find it really irrelevant. I find the church really relevant now. And what happens is the unchurched come in. And them, them who are not going to be persuaded by the word or offended by the word, is no change in the word. See the church of Scotland. The church of Scotland have been frightened to becoming morons. That they change the word to suit the world. Who will still never accept the message. They're still not accepting the message. Leon Morris says this, the message does not please the perishing anymore due to the simplicity in which it's presented. End quote, is it not a statement? Meaning, does it matter if you, if you change the gospel to suit them who think you're a moron? They're not going to accept the message anymore because you have to get the gospel for them to be okay with you. And see deep down, they still think you're a moron anyway. The only difference is, is that they have less chance of hearing the gospel. So it's a lose-lose. They still think you're an idiot. They still think you're speaking nonsense. They also know that you're dressing up. They're not daft. The world's not daft. They're kidding on. You know, you get these people into church in a false pretense, didn't you? You get them into church. You're better seeing if people, you've got to come to church. You know, if you're a sinner, you've got problems, get yourself to church. <laughs> Maybe you know as bad as that. You understand what I'm saying. But see what happens in the church. They come in, they can be here for months. We're having, we're having pizza night. We're having dress up as Mickey Mouse night. Have you done all that stuff? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. You're dressing up as all that. And what's happened is they're still sitting in the crowd going, and then you're like, I'll sneak Jesus in the back door. Because they think I'm a moron. But see when you sneak Jesus in the back door. They just think you're a moron with a Mickey Mouse suit on. They don't think any different. They're still not accepting it. But we think we're making the, the gospel more palatable to them. And it was not any more palatable. It was becoming... Because them who are perishing is perishing. Okay, I really need to close. Paul never changed the message to suit the desires of the crowd. That's what he's hammering home to the Corinthian church. You were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By preaching of the word. 
No by man's wisdom. Man's wisdom, none of us are saved by grace by man's wisdom. And if none of us are saved by man's wisdom, why do we think other people will be? Paul never changed the message to suit the desires of the crowd. They wanted more worldly knowledge. Corinth was obsessed with worldly knowledge, as was 50 miles away in Athens, the Athenians. No, the Stoics and the Epicureans, they give more knowledge, give more knowledge. Paul even says, I'm not even staying any longer to give you more knowledge, because I know that's all you want. You think I'm a moron. I'll go and be a moron to somebody else. A great lesson here, the more we veer from the gospel towards a man-centered message, the less likely are to convict people and stop them perishing. We know we can get into election there, but you get the, the point. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But that doesn't mean to say that we have to turn into something that, we, that people accept. Because the very next line Paul says in verse 18, but to those who are being saved... It is the power of God. Same message. Somebody sees you as a moron. Somebody sees you as speaking truth into them that convicts our soul. It's foolishness to the world. But know to them that God has chosen and called. It is not foolishness to them. Who's our mission field? Acts 17, 17, them who happen to be there. I don't know who's perishing and who's going to, I don't know who thinks I'm a moron and who's not. Can't even look and go, right, where they know. Sometimes we wee up folk before we evangelise, they think I'm a moron, wait, no change the message. <laughs> who's our mission field? Whoever happens to be there. But not all there will think we're all there. <laughs> Yet to those who are being saved, I'll make perfect sense. This is, the, this is the wrestle in your mind. I'll make perfect sense. When I spoke at the top of Mars Hill a few weeks ago, I just spoke to those who happened to be there. These people were walking about taking photos and doing stuff. They weren't even... They weren't, I don't even think they knew that they were standing on nearly everybody. There was a wee woman there who was trying to explain to people, good, that was her mission field. She felt, I'm going to explain to you what, what, what ground you're actually walking on. I just spoke to who happened to be there. Most just walked by. But one couple didn't think I was a moron. Just one couple. There were hundreds of people there. But only one couple didn't think I was a moron. That's who mattered. That's who we were preaching to. I was a moron to most, but not to all. We have to get over our shame. The world will try and intimidate us and turn the world into something else. It's worse when that starts happening within the church. That Paul, I don't agree with him. He's a moron. Don't agree with that Pastor Mark, he's a moron. See, when you start saying that within the church, you're in deep trouble. Thinks he knows stuff, he's a moron. That's not the language of unity. I was saying, as your message is no hindrance to what I want and what I desire. Morris says, and I think this simplifies the truth, and I'll close with this, I'm going to get into verse 19. F verse 19 simply, I'm just hammering home the point by sharing Isaiah 29. 
where he talks about the King's Assyria coming to nothing. So that's what it means, but we'll get into it next week. Morris says, and I think the simple truth helps us evangelise. That's simple truth. When we talk to them being saved and them perishing, he says, ultimately, every human being falls into two categories. Every human being. This is a great leveller. It's a great way when you approach evangelism. Every human being falls into two categories. This is what he says. Ultimately, almost fall into these two classes. There is no other. They're either them who have been saved or they're them who are perishing. That's it. may seem brutal, but it's that simple. A preaching will either one souls or will absolutely do nothing to a human being except make you look like a moron in their eyes and further their continued perishing lives. They don't think they're perishing, they think they're flourishing. But they're perishing. So what do we do? For the next three chapters, we'll just continue to hammer this point home and home and home again. We preach the gospel in its totality. We don't veer away to suit whatever somebody's feeling or somebody's thinking. And to them who have been chosen and called, who we don't know, when God sees fit in his time when we preach the word, something will snap in them and they'll be convicted at that moment. Therefore, we should never be ashamed of the gospel. Never be ashamed of the gospel. Nor change it to suit what the world wants, which was happening in Corinth, which we never want to harm here which has happened in the world, but there's wee pockets. I heard Sinclair Ferguson saying this. Debatable. Uh, no debatable what he says, just debatable about other stuff. There are wee pockets of churches everywhere. Just there may be no big churches, wee pockets, where they're still preaching and standing in the truth of God's word. It's no popular. You're a moron now. I was a moron before I get saved. A moron for Jesus is brilliant. For where I came from, and I'm sure where you came from. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.